We're trying to build our MVP to prove that automating the call time process works first. But down the line, we want full the builder integration and also with your communications, digital information. So, of course, that's the goal down the line is to bring that all together. For now, we're focusing on that call time aspect. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My guests today are Isaac Troncoso and Joshua Kaufman, two of the partners in Blue Raven Labs. Along with being political campaign consultants, they're also building software for automating political fundraising called CallSmart AI. It's early, but they have a good story to tell. If you're interested in progressive political entrepreneurship or fundraising or political technology, you should listen. So after a quick word from my sponsor, my interview with Isaac and Joshua from Blue Raven Labs. Check out the large, detailed, and high-quality political data graphic posters from Timeplots. Our visual history of the American presidency, for example, lets you see the Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump presidencies in full context. Timeplots Library includes visual histories of the United States House, the United States Senate, the Supreme Court, and the Democratic and Republican parties. Find them all at www.timeplots.com. Use the code BATTLEFIELD for a discount. Isaac and Joshua, would you both mind introducing yourselves and giving me quick biographies? Sure. So I'm Isaac. I've been working on campaigns for about eight years now, starting in 2016 with the Tammy Duckworth Illinois Coordinated Campaign. Today, I work across campaigns in government as a commissioner for the city of Chicago, overseeing public safety and the Chicago Police Department. And nine to five, I work on campaigns with Josh at Blue Raven Campaigns. I'm Josh, Joshua, and I've been working on campaigns in Chicago for about 10 years. I got my start working on city council races. Those are my bread and butter and worked on a bunch of municipal races, congressional statewide races as well. And my focus has always been fundraising. And the last two years, along with Isaac, we started our consulting firm, Blue Raven Campaigns, where we manage and do fundraising for Chicagoland candidates. And now we are launching this new endeavor after years of struggling through raising money for candidates. This new idea has kind of fallen in our lap with the coinciding with AI. And we're really excited to talk to you about it, Nathaniel. It's right in the heart of what I kind of got going in political tech myself, which was fundraisers needing call sheets and managing call time. And I did that in the 90s for a bunch of democratic fundraising firms and campaigns and turned into a company. But I have seen over the years that lots of people have other ideas about how to make it better. And there's been lots of startups in this area, some of which have survived and are ongoing. So lovely to talk to you about your take on it. Would you mind each going a little more into the bio? Where are you from? What kind of family did you grow up in? What kind of education did you obtain? And how did you first get into politics? 
Sure. So I can start. I'm born and raised in New York City, the Upper West Side, actually the number one, I believe, Democratic uh, donor zip code in the country, 10024, which is a fun fact. I was raised by two very different parents. My father's a writer. His family immigrated from Juarez, Mexico into El Paso, Texas. And then he was one of the first in his family to go to college, went to Harvard, met my mother there. She's from the suburbs of Chicago, which is how I sort of have a connection back here. Went to U Chicago for undergrad, fell in love with the city, fell in love with the civic culture, the political culture. For example, I remember working for my city council member in New York. They were not nearly as, I would say, engaged as the local elected officials here in Chicago and the local people here. Anyone on the street or many people here, if you stop them, they know who their alderman is. So I think that's a really special culture. So fell in love with that, worked on campaigns on the South Side around the University of Chicago while I was studying there, and then just fell in love with it and continued on. Joshua, why don't you take a swing at that? Yeah. So I was actually born and raised in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So I grew up a Michigan fan and we had a real big celebration. This is national champions, still riding that high. But anyways, my family was very progressive growing up. It was an academic family. One thing that motivated me to get involved is the issue of healthcare in the United States. I grew up with healthcare not being a for sure thing. It was always complicated with insurance. And then Bernie Sanders came around in 2015 and 2016 and really inspired me and motivated me to get involved. And I worked on his campaign and just caught the bug there and, and didn't look back. And when I moved to Chicago to go to school at DePaul, my first class I took was called Discover Chicago Politics amazing professor who took us around the city and we learned about the history, the culture and the political landscape. And yeah, I just really loved it. Kind of what Isaac was talking about, the the culture of aldermen, the history of it, how they're so insignificant, like the little mayors that decide what goes where. And I also was fascinated with this one statistic that I learned from that class, which was nine out of 10 times the campaign with more money wins their election which blew my mind. And I think that stat has changed a little bit, but the point of it still holds true to this day, which is if you're a well-funded campaign, you're way better off to win your election. I would say that rubbed me the wrong way slightly because it didn't feel very democratic in how I imagined our, our system to be. And so that motivated me to, one, to figure out how to raise money, how to get more progressive candidates to be more effective in their fundraising. And that's kind of taken me on this journey for like the last 10 years has, has been studying that principle and, and learning how to take those establishment fundraising methods and, and bringing them to progressive grassroots campaigns. So that's a bit about my background and what kind of wakes me up in the morning. Joshua, can you tell me concretely how you came to be in a position to start a company, Blue Raven Campaigns, and what it does and who it serves and kind of what the founding story and early days of putting that together is, as well as how you bring in partners, including Isaac. Yeah. So it started with me cutting my teeth as most um, campaign workers and staff do, which is in field. I learned at the very bottom of a campaign as a volunteer and slowly worked my way up to where I was a field organizer and then later a field director with the Democratic Party of Wisconsin for a brief time. When you think about field organizers on campaigns, they're typically younger. Usually they have a lot of energy, but it's it's a real tough job. And then anyone who's done it knows that you can't do that forever. It's just a grind like mentally and physically working field. And so I knew that this wasn't necessarily sustainable for me. And so I saw fundraising as a great opportunity 
And so I jumped at the opportunity to work at another consulting firm here in Chicago, where I was uh, a finance associate there, where I was managing call time for elected officials. And that really got my foot in the door in the finance space, getting to build relationships with a lot of city council members, a lot of other elected officials. And by just working on fundraising and moving my way up, I was able to be a deputy finance director on a congressional campaign. And then this was now November of 2022 was when we had a decision to make with two city council candidates that I really loved, that I I knew were going to win. And I wanted to work for both of them as their campaign manager, but didn't, didn't have the time to do it, do both of them the right way. So I brought on my best friend who was really interested in politics. And then later along, Isaac came along too. And we ended up managing both of those races together. We were successful with both of them, as we expected. They both won. And then another city council race came along too. And that one won all of a sudden. We're the hotshot Chicagoland political consulting firm with three wins in a row. And then from there, we could get very picky with our clients. And so everyone wanted to work with us after that, which made it a lot easier. So now we're we're staying boutique. We've only got four full-time people. We've got some interns, but we're taking on candidates that inspire us, that we think could use our help and helping them raise money and getting their message out to voters and overseeing all of their operations. So it started small, started in field, then fundraising, and then management. But here we are almost two years in. An interesting way to put it. You bring your best friend in and then this Isaac guy. (laughs) Who's the best friend? Is he the other sort of like the other one of the three heads of this enterprise or clarify that distinction you made there? Yeah, yeah. So we all knew each other prior to me starting the firm. We were all really great friends. I've just given some slack to to Isaac. Originally, Isaac was working as a commissioner um, and doing his own thing and, and didn't have the opportunity to come on full time. Connor was looking for a new opportunity and he was a little newer to the political space. Frankly, at the start, I couldn't afford Isaac. I brought on my friend, uh, our friend, and he, he <laughs> was newer to the space and was able to kind of be my right-hand man, um, helping me with everything I needed. Isaac came on slightly later in more of that partner role where he actually was overseeing his own client entirely, just under the Blue Raven name. So Isaac didn't need any hand-holding from me when he came on. He, he hit the ground running. But yeah, that's kind of how it started. And, and now it's really the core of us three that do the day-to-day operations of, of Blue Raven. I'm the second place friend because I just lost in fantasy football this week. So <laughs> that's where we're at. Yeah, that's the pecking order. Isaac, what's your version of the path that takes you to Blue Raven? I thought Ravens were black. And what's the deal with the name there? That's above uh, my pay grade, but I would say <laughs> as to my path, you know, I it's it, it's a long and winding road. So similar to Josh, I cut my teeth in campaigns. So worked on a couple Chicago City Council races. So Illinois coordinated campaign. I was doing field for Cami Duckworth. I would say the two of the most opposite neighborhoods in Chicago, Lincoln Park and Chatham on the north side and the south side. And that was a very eye-opening experience, introduction to the wide range of the city of Chicago. And from there, I continued on in local races. So worked on a couple aldermanics in the 4th Ward, 20th Ward. Those are both in the south side as well. Later in my college career, I actually fell in love with technology and entrepreneurship and started a social media startup with a couple friends of mine. We received some seed funding from the UChicago Booth School of Business, uh, pursued that through college, and then 
you know, upon graduating, actually did not accept a full-time job because I wanted to see where things went with that startup and interned at the mayor's office of New York for a while, doing some policy work. So I'm definitely also a policy person at heart, I would say. But then after that, pursued technology for four years, actually. So went to work at Google for two of those years doing sales and marketing, digital advertising, Google search ads, YouTube ads. And then two years after that, that experience wanted to get a little closer to government. So I worked at a government technology company called CityBase. They do municipal payments and also utility payments. So all the payments of the city of Chicago, anytime you pay the city for any reason, many other cities as well across the country. So did that for two years as chief of staff to the CEO there, and then left really to work on the Chicago municipals in 2023. So we were at a point where um, our current mayor, Brandon Johnson, just made the runoff in March. And I basically left my job to work on the municipals and so worked as deputy manager for an alderman, came onto the firm. Um, we did some work that supported Mayor Johnson in the first ward uh, with Daniel Laspata, who was our, one of our successful clients that Josh mentioned, and so left the private sector to join Blue Raven. So... I get the sense pretty frequently that the impetus for bringing new tech into democratic politics is crankiness with old tech. You go to work in some part of the campaign and you realize that whatever tool you're using is inefficient. The interface doesn't seem like it's as responsive to do things quickly. You have a bunch of ideas about how to improve it. There's new tech ideas in the air, in, in your case, like artificial intelligence, and you think, I could make this better, right? And in fact, call time is an area, you know, it's like a common part of campaigning. It's a grungy area because it's like really the person in charge of call time is forcing a politician to sit there and do an onerous task, which only a few of them enjoy. And so I see all over the country, people with this idea, I can make that part better. And, you know, there's a fundraiser in Nevada doing it. There was a call time.ai tool that Higher Ground sponsored that got bought by PDI. There's a bunch of uh, fundraising technology firms out there. Tell me what your sense was of the call time tech possibilities as you were kind of learning about the space and, and coming to the idea that you should build your own? Yeah, I can go ahead and take a stab at this. So as I mentioned, I was at a consulting firm prior to starting my own, and I consider them one of the top firms in, in the area. They kind of were very up to date on all the technological advances that are happening in the space, I would say, and they still weren't where technology was, they were kind of stuck in like the early 2000s, like the Obama campaign really has pushed a lot of like these technological advances. And so they're kind of stuck in those that time with using Nathaniel would NGP is like the bread and butter of, of most fundraising operations and, and most consulting firms still use it to this day. I've worked with other fundraising consultants who strictly take notes on pen and paper still for everything. It's pen and paper. Not even a spreadsheet, not even a word processor. <laughs> not even a spreadsheet for these people. Like I'm not the most tech savvy, but I, I do know that that is not the smartest way and stuff gets lost and you're not efficient and you, there's way better 
ways to go about it. And so as somebody who was also managing call time and, and trying to get members of Congress to sit still and, and dial the phone and, and ask for money and making a hard ask and making sure that we're following up accordingly, like that was my whole life was like trying to understand how do we do this faster, more efficient? How do we make more calls? How do we make calls that don't last 45 minutes where the candidate just talks on and on and on? And as I'm doing this job as a call time manager, it it really dawned on me that this wasn't rocket science and that this could 100% be automated, at least to a significant degree. We broke it down into three parts of a call time manager. There's the, the research that goes into building your call sheet. There's the call note taking of the actual call that happens and, and making sure you get that information. And then there's the follow-up where you actually email or text the donor, prospective donor for, for money. We wanted to create one product that's able to do all three of those things using AI. That's kind of what we've been venturing to do. Isaac, I don't know if you wanted to continue on that thought. Yeah, I would just say the pre-call research, particularly, I guess, was the part that I was crankiest about as a fundraiser. You know, anytime you are copying and pasting large volumes of information, that is something that is a pretty good indicator that it's ripe for disruption and that you're doing something slower than you could be. So I would say when you're given a couple thousand people to call and you are individually searching their names, finding their giving history and copying and pasting that over. That was my first clue that this space could be moving a million times faster. I don't understand why you would be copying and pasting. What are you talking about? Um, so when you'd be looking at, you know, an individual's donor history and trying to port that over for the candidate if they want to uh, call call particular people. But I mean, all of the technology that I'm aware of, you could just print a call sheet or export, you know, a list of people to call. So why are you copying? And yeah. Pasting? So call time AI, you mentioned, right? They do that where they have the giving history. It's extremely inaccurate and it oftentimes doesn't integrate with the state board of elections. So you can only see FEC data when it does integrate with the state board. It's not like consistent. For example, if the person you're calling, if their name is John Smith, even though they have the address identifier tool, it still is inconsistent. So you're talking more more about the data than the tool in that case, right? Yeah, but making a tool that uses AI to remove duplicates, to spot inaccuracies, and to you know pretty much clean up the data to make it more reliable, so you know what you're looking at. Because if you, but when you're pulling it manually, you're able to kind of clean it in real time, and that's what Isaac's referring to, um, and and making sure that you get the proper information, so you make a good ask. A very critical part of this, obviously, is that research, is this idea of if I was doing call time, I would want to make the I would want my calls to be ordered by most important call to least important call by most by the probability of raising the most money on this call down to the least. What's your theory about the source of this data? There's obviously donors that are out there who already given that you could retrieve from people's reports that they've made to the state or to the federal government. And there's sources of that, grassroots analytics or lots of other vendors of fundraising information. There's also kind of manually going and getting it yourself. There's also like the donor list from the last time this person ran for office. What's your theory about how do I build the right data set to start 
going on call time for a campaign? It all depends on the candidate. I'll start there. Every candidate's different. They have different donor bases. But generally speaking, the first group of people that you want to reach out to is the personal network, friends and family of the candidate. Those are like what we call the low-hanging fruit. Especially if it's your first time running for office, you get the opportunity to perfect your pitch in kind of a low pressure, low stakes environment. So those are the ones we recommend you start with. From there, you can move on to resolicitation, which are previous donors to your campaign. Those are also fairly easy. Um, if it's your first time running, you don't have that luxury. And then you need to jump right to the next pool of folks, which is your prospects. Now, those are the ones where it gets a lot harder and there's different types of prospective donors. There's like institutional donors, right, which are people who just essentially give to everybody who calls them and they write money to get you off the phone. If they'll stop you from calling, like it, it truly is that easy for some of these people. And then there's more ideological leaning donors who give to specific types of candidates. Maybe it's only they only give to women candidates or they only give to young black candidates. It depends. That's more identity, but it also could be ideological, whether it's progressives or more establishment candidates. So essentially, you need to find what your lane is and then looking at similar candidates to you and pulling their donors and reaching out to them as well. Having surrogates do call time. Those are all different methods. But that's kind of how I like to think about like prioritization when when it comes to fundraising, right? You start with the people closest to you and you work your way out to unfamiliar. So what is your vision for your product for how it will implement the research phase using new technology and where are you on that right now? Yeah, I would say the vision for our product is to be able to provide at a much more affordable rate everything that is in Josh's head, essentially. Because I think one of the issues is, you know, so often if a call time manager is coming up with an ask and they're analyzing, you know, some giving history from some donor and saying, what can we ask for based on this? It's not as consistent as it could be. You know, it's that person's best guess each time. If it's a prospect, especially providing that level of consistency by using AI to say, you know, once we have a broad swath of donor data, maybe we can say people that give to Senate candidates 10 times out of 10 and give to municipal candidates once. If you're a municipal candidate, this is what you could be looking at. This is the rate that you should be asking for. And really trying to use AI to generate the best ask, ordering a sheet by that. And then, you know, starting from a broad base of having all the data possible from federal to state and local as well. And I would say to date, we have integrated with the Illinois State Board of Elections. So we're able to draw data from that. I would say two to three weeks ago from when your listeners will hear this, we will have done the same for New York State and the Federal Election Commission as well. And so we'll be able to get all of that automatically. And we're hoping to have our first minimum bare bones version of this product live in February to candidates in those two states. One thing that is perplexing me a little bit is when you say using AI sort of to determine the amount of the ask. So what do you mean by AI there? Because for decades, there have been algorithms to come up with a number, which means like, hey, let's base it on previous giving. This person typically gives $250. Let's bump it up by a certain amount or like having a formula, basically. What is a level beyond a formula that could be based on data science or some kind of machine learning or... What, what do you mean by AI there? We're not talking about like generative AI to, to write in this part of the enterprise, but how are you defining this? So I'd say that would be two main things. First of all, 
with machine learning, it would be the introduction of new data as the call time goes on. So for example, if we've been able to see that, you know, this person, they have this giving history set of $1,000, 10 times to Senate candidates, $500, five times to mayoral candidates, you're a mayoral candidate, they gave you $1,000. Oh, that's interesting. That goes against the grain of what the formula might have said. Maybe we should alter the asks, et cetera. So the introduction of new data as they donate to your campaign specifically is part of the way that this would develop over time. The more call time you do, ideally, the more accurate uh, it would get. And then I would say later into the enterprise, generative AI will come into play. So what we're hoping to do is um, to link up your call time, You know, do it through Google Meets, where you can have a transcript, and then have a generative AI analyze the transcript and summarize call notes and then generate a custom follow-up email afterwards. So that will come into play at later stages as well. So is there something then about the ask that's more than just math at this point in the development? So my understanding is it's more of a sophisticated weighting system. It is math, like it is a formula, kind of like what you would see with call time AI, or I believe NGP does this too with their call sheets with suggested ask. I don't remember. At least it didn't when I when I used it, but I, it might now. You definitely probably know. I'm not going to testify to anything that is or is not an NGP as I haven't looked at it in a long, long time. But I've certainly heard that that, that need was out there for a long time, and I suspect it's in there. There's lots of different call sheets in that product. Right, right. But another thing, as I was saying, more sophisticated weighting to the type of race, also the time of year that they give, right? Like if you only give in the spring, right, that's something to consider um, and that might be noteworthy. Those are other things that like AI makes a lot easier for us to analyze those large data. So just, just to ask you further on the AI thing, what, what AI models or technology are you employing? Yeah, so we're in the process of testing a few and also potentially working on our own. But really, you know, that'll come out to when we have our first set of beta users, which we're hoping to have in 2024. I'm sure we'll crumple this all up, throw it out and try again. I'm sure we're going to have issues with our asks in the beginning. That's what the testing is for. You identify this kind of gap in the market, like there could really be better call time We've been there as finance directors. We know what the tech is that's out there. When do you decide to like have a labs part of Blue Raven and make that a startup unto itself? I can touch on that. So I think we've looked at trends going on in the past like five years. We've seen a decline in digital fundraising and quite significantly, for example, we all get spammed with with tons of fundraising emails from the Democratic Party, they're becoming less and less successful. And I've been seeing that up and down the ballot for different races. And one thing that we noticed on the actual campaign side is that call time at events are, are still like the, the most successful and stable when it comes to fundraising. And so we knew that this is kind of where the, the center of mass is kind of like the, the grounds are shifting towards. And we wanted to definitely capitalize on that as like the future of fundraising. And then also just, I think the need to create Blue Raven Labs, it comes first out of necessity with, I, I truly want this product to be more effective with my clients. I don't like hiring a call time manager on a lean campaign for four to 6,000 a month to do a job that we truly feel like could be automated at a higher level. 
it comes from a place of we just want to get a leg up on our competition to be more effective and efficient and run a better operation. So I think that's where it came from is like, we want to build this product for us. And then we were like, well, I think other people would appreciate it as well. I've talked to a a lot of people who have been in this space of running a services company like you do and wanting a product. And the challenge is often okay, we have to take money basically from profits from the firm and invest it in a product where you hope to both use it in your case and I'd say sell it so that you can, you know, pay back the capital it took to develop it and then maybe make a profit from selling that new product. How are you thinking about that sort of relationship between the firms and and the challenges of sort of bootstrapping or building a product company? Something that we've been very lucky to do and I think is a bit unusual in the entrepreneurial space is that we haven't spent a cent of the Blue Raven campaign's profits on Blue Raven Labs. So it's been totally separate up to this point. And, you know, that's a big thanks to Higher Grounds grant that they gave us in December, um, which is how we've been able to build the MVP up to this point. And we are hoping to have, I would say, between 80 to 100 percent of that complete just from their $20,000 grant. So we will not be having to sort of bring that revenue from Blue Raven campaigns over to labs. And just to underscore a bit of the story of how it started out of necessity, you know, it had very humble beginnings building on what Josh said. So one thing we actually wanted to do was we were noticing we were constantly checking the Illinois State Board of Elections for A1 and D1 filings. That's filings for when somebody files a statement of candidacy and a contribution over $1,000. So we found that interesting. We were just always checking the state board for that. And we actually just built you know, a small little scraper. Our third co-founder, Connor, built a scraper to be able to provide that in a daily newsletter. So we started giving that to some of our friends in the space. And you know, people would read that. So we've always been kind of experimenting and tinkering. Did you take a look at the other vendors of this kind of call time systems like numero there's just just so many did you look at what was out there what did you find and what did you find wanting so we i not only have i looked around at these products i've been a user of all these products all congressional democratic incumbents were required if this could be wrong but it was my understanding in the 22 cycle to use call time ai which was a new product in the similar vein of trying to make call time more efficient but we saw a lot of downsides still with their products and the biggest one is that um, with all of those products, Numero or Call Time AI, even NGP and Quiller, those are all products that require someone to manage those softwares. Like to actually have a Call Time manager is still a necessity, even with Call Time AI. A lot of the work is mitigated in like they're moving in the right direction of automation, but there's still that need. So what we thought was we wanted to completely get rid of that necessity of a Call Time manager entirely. And so like the big innovation. I think is that next step in the process of call time after research, because there are a few firms that do research really well, but what we're able to do is that automatic call time notes taking during the call. That's like one of our unique selling points and then able to identify action items from those notes, summarize it, and then draft uh, email or text follow-up. That's the part of the process that we did not see on the market anywhere. And I don't, believe anyone is working on this like that I know of. Um, and I've been looking around. So if you do know someone who's working on something similar to this, I'd be really curious. 
So tell me about the engagement with higher ground. So I've, I've talked to lots of people who've been in various cohorts. I think you were, you must be in their sort of AI lab cohort. And that, that was, I think 20 grand for that, which it's very useful for starting to build some tech, but it's a tiny amount of money for building a company. Tell me about like how you approached them and why they decided that this was a good investment for them. So we basically entered into a partnership with some contractual vendors. So MJ Ventures are their names, and they've been through the accelerator before, and they were familiar with it. And we were just sort of in talks with them as to how to build this. And then, you know, noticed the higher ground deadline about a week or two, probably two weeks before it was due, and just rapidly decided to apply for that. And then that's been a really exciting engagement. They've been great partners to work with. And I agree with you that normally, you know, $20,000 um, to any company of, of size is something to sneeze at. But we were trying to be frugal and, you know, do our best to build something bare bones. What have they helped you with? So up to this date, they gave us the 20000 of course. And then we've been having some office hour sessions with experts. A founder of Act Blue came to speak and talk about his company's strategy and then we'll be having some more check-ins with them on our progress. And then we have an ultimate presentation February 1st. So it's been a couple consultative meeting sessions, basically. Is the hope that that, that will then lead to further engagement from them, further investment and more interaction between you and them? Yes, that's correct. So, you know, by no means companies are guaranteed for further investment, but I would say in the cases I've seen where higher ground does invest additional money, it's anywhere between 100,000 to 500,000 to a million-ish in the companies that go through this accelerator. Who else is in the AI lab with you at higher ground? We have actually not been able to really meet many of the other companies. Uh, we had our first meeting of them yesterday, but there's people working on things from software to accelerate movements and how they do that to a lot of other exciting technologies. I believe there might be a texting texting startup in there. So it's a wide variety. A lot of chatbots like texting chatbots for candidates. There's a few other I think one of them uses like a voice cloning software. I think I saw as one of them where they're able to clone a candidate's voice to answer questions directly to folks uh, who, who inquire to the campaign, which is interesting. So there's a lot of like avant-garde, cutting-edge AI utility for the campaigns that they're, they're I using. I would say what's interesting is we're the only fundraising member of the cohort, I believe. You guys are now reasonably experienced in campaigning in Chicago land area and beyond. What, what do you think are, beyond call time, what do you think are other aspects of political campaigns that AI might be able to improve? I, I would say one that I know from personal experience is digital advertising. So the way that Google was moving by the time that I left was, you know, you have your bidding strategy for advertising. So you can say, I want to maximize clicks to my website, or I want to maximize impressions or maximize any number of other metrics and you can just, you know, to whichever is your priority at any given time. And they were moving from that to something called performance max, Pmax, which is just this idea that you just give it a chunk of money and we will orient everything. We will decide, you know, you give us money and images and video, we will decide how much of your ads is spent on search, how much of your ads is spent on a YouTube ads, how much is on display ads. Like we know the optimal and we will just take all the work away. So what I've seen in the political space, transitioning from Google to there, 
is a lot of sort of uneducated buyers of advertising getting upcharged a lot by digital advertising firms that, in my opinion, are borderline ripping off clients is a lot of what I've seen, you know, percentage rates that would never be charged um, to a private, you know, to a corporate client, things like that. So that's something I've noticed that I think is ripe for disruption. Joshua, how do you view that intersection of AI and campaigns? I love this question. I think there are so many possibilities. One that jumps right to the front of my mind um, as like a headache for campaign managers around the world is is compliance. When you're dealing with federal compliance or state and local uh, financial compliance, that is something that could 100% be automated in the future using AI, where essentially you get given questions that anybody can answer about all the contributions you've received and fill out the information in an easy way and, and have it get the PDFs ready so to file automatically for you. This is just a nice idea that I have. I think that technology exists today. I think it's just about getting it to market and getting it ready to go. So that's one that I, I think would be really exciting as like a, a little tool um, that would save campaigns from having to pay lawyers to deal with their compliance. This is more for smaller campaigns that can't afford that. Other ways using utilizing AI, more targeted messaging. We use direct mail a lot and it's it's kind of archaic but or ancient, but it does work. And figuring out ways to more tailor your direct mail to different demographics and groups of voters, like I think there's definitely an AI utilization there. I guess another idea is, is um, the ability to dialogue with the campaign directly. We mentioned those chatbots that a lot of campaigns are using. That's another interesting way for you to ask really pointed questions about the candidate and their platform. And if you can't talk to the candidate themselves because they're busy running around, usually calling people for money. But if you want to talk about their policies, having a, an AI chatbot that is like well-versed and sophisticated enough to dialogue with the voters, that's another utility that's coming. So those are a few ideas. I suspect there are a lot of possibilities. I'm a little confused by your answer on compliance because there are lots of, there's a lot of software out there where you have to basically enter the start date and the end date and it produces those PDFs for you. Have you seen that for like state board, Illinois, like for Illinois? Oh yeah. For oh, oh, yeah. I mean, like NGP has all of the states that are available and so, but there are other you know, there are other firms that do that. I think Campaign Deputy is in that space and they're also in the call time space. I mean, that that is, you know, it's a pain in the neck and and sometimes it's a moving target. But we, I mean, in in my day at NGP, we had a team of people that worked on state reports and and keeping them up to date and changing them as they changed and supporting them. And I believe that's still, still the case. It's one of the cores of that application. What I'm curious about is like, what would be, what would be the distinction that AI would bring to it? Because there's a program to do it. And I'm not sure if I understand what you're saying is additive about AI, though I can imagine some things myself, but I'm wondering what you had in mind. Yeah. I mean, I thought of it as um, just a way to democratize the need of complying. And so I guess I, I don't know exactly. This is just an idea that it's a, something where I know is a pain for campaign managers and finance directors and oftentimes is mystical and given to lawyers for them to figure out. And so I didn't even I wasn't even aware. I haven't really looked into it. There's a whole ecosystem of compliance firms uh, as well as lawyers that's just that will do the compliance for numerous campaigns. And then there's just people who, you know, maybe it's the accountant who will run the program. 
And so you have to have some knowledge of what line numbers, different kinds of contributions or expenditures fall under. In the current versions, you, you code each transaction basically with what line number it would land on, and then you just print out the forms. A lot of the forms are like tax forms. They are complicated and you have to know something about them. And and I'm, I'm sure that there could be another le level of simplification on top of that ultimately, but it does require some expertise, but it, it's, you know, I'm not sure if the tech is standing in the way totally at this point. That probably is the case. And I was thinking like, you know, if there's any way to save money and cut costs on a campaign is kind of what I look for when you're thinking about AI ut utilization. And so it gets complicated for like in-kind contributions that they're making, right? Like to campaigns. And then there's there's caps and those caps can be lifted. And so as you're saying, like if you're doing this by the book, you should have a, an accountant or a lawyer professional. But if you're looking at a smaller campaign, I think those tools, then maybe they already exist um, or, you know, just haven't really made it to market yet. I haven't really been pitched on those personally. Like I usually people reach out to me with you know, their tools and stuff. And I haven't seen that, but I haven't looked too, uh, too deeply. Um, and I don't know what the AI application necessarily would, would make it um, more effective, just thinking out loud. But again, other AI tools, the chatbot, definitely. I don't know if you ran into the, the folks working on Campaign Brain, which is supposed to give you the next action for the campaign, for small campaigns. As I understand it, I interviewed the person, you can look on the podcast, but you provided a lot of information about the campaign. And then it tells you what the next thing you ought to do is without having to necessarily staff the campaign with every type of expertise, because maybe it's just the candidate. That's an interesting idea. I'm going to look into that campaign brain. I'll definitely check out your podcast on that. Through the fall, I've been interviewing a variety of people who are working at that intersection of AI and politics. You're kind of in that series. I think there is a revolution going on in technology. It's sometimes unclear uh, to me at what phase we are on that, but you can see it going through all industry. And so why not politics? Is there a question that I should have asked you about what you're doing that I failed to? Not that I can think of. I'm, I'm racking my brain right now. I think one thing that surprised me about this was I thought the biggest barrier would be that middle piece of transcribing the calls and then developing action items from there and then drafting those follow-ups to send. In our short time working on this, that actually has not been that big of a challenge, which is surprising. We've been able to, like in our MVP, build a, a, a pretty consistent model that's able to, we're getting to a finished product, but we're not there yet. But it looks like that's not going to be the barrier for us. One of the other barriers, I think, will be the two-party agreement for recording and transcribing calls. That's something we're, we're just now navigating. States have different laws with like one-party versus two-party consent for recording. Are recording and transcribing the same thing? I guess they probably are. That's what we've been attempting to figure out because I think this is a new frontier because of AI. Is is an AI, you know, analyzing something? Is that a recording? Or, you know, if a person isn't looking at, it's like if a tree falls in the forest, right? So for people who might be curious, like they're feeling like, I'd like to use this perspective tool that you're developing. Can you explain what will be in the MVP and when it will be available 
Yeah, so I would say the first version will have all three phases. So it will have that pre-call research. It will be specific to uh, Illinois and New York. So clients in those states most likely will be the two states that we'll be launching in. Um, Then it will have that call note-taking and those follow-ups, and it will be email follow-ups. Text-based is something we'll be working on in the future, but to start, it will be just email. I would estimate the MVP will be launched February or one to three months after that. That depends as well on whether we get additional funding on February 1st. If so, I could see by April a bare bones MVP being launched. And then I'll just say some exciting, you know, future features that we're thinking of. Obviously, those text-based follow-ups will be huge, more robust sort of reporting and analytics. You know, something we'd love to see is larger finance consulting firms using this to onboard their customer, their clients to, and then just having the principals and more senior staff uh, really just be getting reports to say who's struggling where, I'll just sort of tap in to where I need to, as opposed to having an army of call time managers. One of the challenges about building like a point solution like this, like I want to fix the call time issue, is that it's most effective if that can integrate with technology that's already out there that campaigns are using for other things, whether it's for their field program, for list management, for emailing, all of that. How have you thought about incorporating what you're doing, which is one piece of a kind of a big tech ecosystem that a good campaign would have with what's out there with all of the possibilities that they could have for a tech stack. We've been really thoughtful and mindful of that as we're building this product. And so we want our MVP to allow for the bulk upload of data. So your personal Rolodex, for example, if you pull all your phone contacts in your phone, right, that's usually the first thing you do. That data will be seamlessly uploaded into our software. But same for ActBlue contributions and those ActBlue data sets that you can export, those will easily integrate. And then there's also an ActBlue API, which down the line we would want to integrate as well to get those up-to-date alerts for campaign donations that come in to connect it seamlessly, and then Vote Builder as well, um, allowing uh, those, you know, allowing us to import the data seamlessly and connect with it. Um, so that, uh, essentially, it all works together, and they all have like a unique identifier for each person that you're contacting. So we, you build a more clear vision of who each person you're reaching out to is, if that makes sense. What you've described, if I understand it, is like pulling data out of other applications into yours so they can be used. But of course, if you're in the canvassing part of the campaign, you'd want to know whether someone is a donor. And honestly, you'd want to have a 360 degree view somewhere of every person the campaign is in interaction with. So you would want your information, potentially even the call transcripts, flow back into whatever is the CRM for the campaign or at least to to people who are authorized to look at that? Or is that not part of what you're thinking? Definitely is something we want in an ideal world um, to have the ability to seamlessly connect them. And I know NGP does a good job of that with Vote Builder. And so, yeah, that's definitely something we would want there to be a seamless integration between the two. And so you could easily pull a profile and see their contacts with the campaign in like the field campaign, or maybe even ideally on the communication side of the campaign, like have they've received a digital ad, like that would be of course the holy grail to get everything in a single place to look at it. That's not 
where our focus is at this very moment. We're trying to build our MVP to prove that what we're trying to build, which is automating the call time process, works first. But down the line, of course, we want full the builder integration, ActBlue and MGP, and also with your communications, digital information. So of course, that's the goal down the line is to bring that all together. Maybe we could get to a place where it becomes the one-stop shop of everything. For now, we're focusing on that call time aspect. What I've observed is that the market will tend to pull you to adding additional features. Like, I'm really happy with you for call time. Why can't you also do this? Right. And in the long run, then you either have to make a decision if you have the interest and the capital and the customer base to build out a whole full campaign suite or like call time AI got acquired by PDI, which had other elements. Have you thought about like long-term what you would like to happen? Like, let's say you have a really successful call time management app. Would you want to have a really successful full campaign software app that let them do emailing and let them do texting and, and did everything else maybe an aldermanic campaign or a congressional campaign would want, or would you want to be acquired or is that, too far down the horizon to think about. Yeah, I mean, I would say at this stage, we're, we're, we're at a very early stage where we're open to anything. And so if you're asking us if, we, if we'd like to be acquired at some point, you know, show us the offer. But <laughs> we're open to pursuing any paths. It is very, you know, fulfilling enough for us to be able to build something, the three of us, that, you know, is a problem that we've observed in the marketplace. So I think, you know, for the near and medium term, uh, building is where we're going to be. Um, but I think, you know, we're open to anything down the line, of course. It's funny because when I started years ago in the, in the late eighties and then into the nineties, looking at this fundraising firms were building their own management systems. And then we went through a phase of that sort of becoming a commercial product. And now we might be going full cycle because there's a lot of fundraising firms that are like, I can do this better. And then I can make it app for the other fundraising firms. There's a lot to building a company beyond a product. We'll see how this phase shakes out. It's really good to talk to you guys. Glad to get a sense of where you are. Is there anything else you want to say? I'll just say the last thing is where you can sign up for our wait list. It's pretty easy. You could go to labs.blueravencampaigns.com. And if you scroll down, you can sign up for our wait list. And we'll also probably be sending around a market research survey to people in the industry, you know, we really want to be leading with the thoughts of people that experience these problems every day. And we know that, you know, how we do things in Chicago is not necessarily how do people do things across the country. So you can sign up for our wait list there and we'll probably be contacting you when it's released or to ask you some questions. Thanks much, guys. Those were Joshua and Isaac. They are at blueravencampaigns.com. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found. The Great Battlefield is now part of the Democracy Group Podcast Network. Visit democracygroup.org to learn more about other podcasts that cover democracy and civic engagement. 
You can also help me by leaving comments and good ratings on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and by sending me suggestions for great guests to nperlman at gmail.com.